Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in a couple of areas of Scripture today. Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 5, as we continue our verse-by-verse study, and Ephesians chapter 6. Once again, Matthew 13, Mark chapter 5, and Ephesians chapter 6. Um, I have a question for... First of all, there's nothing like kids, right, for Christmas. They were wonderful. Um, So thankful for them. Put us in the mood, but I've got a question for you. Who's finished Christmas shopping? No, really, raise your hand. We want to see you. We despise you. (laughs) Wow, there's more in the 1030 than the 830. There was only four in the 830, but there's about eight. Let me see. You finished Christmas shopping. Okay, now, how many of you that raised your hands and you finished Christmas shopping, like, you just don't believe in Christmas, like, bah humbug, you're not buying any gifts? Oh, not any of you. Oh, one of you. Okay, great. Perfect. Um, all right. How many of you have not even started Christmas shopping? God bless you. Where's my wife? I wanted to see that. <laughs> God bless you guys. Well, I'm excited about Christmas, looking forward to the season. How many of you can't believe it's Christmas time? Like, you walked into Target and they're doing Hark the Herald Angels singing. Like, when did this happen? Um, and everything's red and green and wonderful. Christmas lights are going up, so we strung lights yesterday, and most of them did not work after we put them up. They worked, and then they didn't work. So you know what I did? I got new lights, and I just put them on top of the ones that were already there. I did. So if you come to our house, it's a lot of string everywhere. Mark chapter 5, Matthew 13, Ephesians 6. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I do want to thank you for your word, and I want to thank you for Mark's gospel. Thank you that we can come to you. Today, as we pray, it's name tag Sunday, and everyone's name means something to someone. Back in the back of our sanctuary, Lord, there's a banner with people's names on it. And for someone, that's a name that means they don't know you. And so as a church, we're coming before you asking, would you save every name, every person that's represented by that name on those banners? And would you use us to do it? Jesus' name. If you're taking note, point number one, Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission. He told his disciples, if you remember with Pastor Jeff last week, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, let us cross over the other side. He is on a mission. Now take a look at the screen. You will see they were in Capernaum where that red dot is. 
they're going to cross and go all the way south to the land of Gadara, there at the bottom of our, in the right-hand corner of our screen, you see the land of Gadara. He is truly going to cross over to the other side. Jesus has been in ministry all day long. And he's going to use the evening to cross the great expanse of the largest part of the Sea of Galilee to get to the other side. Now we know that Jesus is on a mission because it's his purpose. Do you remember when we studied Mark chapter 1, verse 38? Look at the screen. You'll see it there. Jesus says, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. He had a purpose. He had a purpose to go to the next town and the next town for him was in the land of Gadara. Now, no one should be surprised when Pastor Jeff taught last week that a windstorm arose. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm not getting on a boat with Jesus anymore because it seems like every time we go on this Sea of Galilee, there is some form of storm. If I'm John, I'm probably young and able to run, and we know that John could run. I would say, hey, Jesus, I'll meet you on the other side. I'm going to run and meet you there. But not our disciples. They believe by faith. They get in this boat, and of course, there's a wind storm. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 13. We shouldn't be surprised by this because Jesus told us a story about the kingdom of God. It's Matthew 13. I'll pick it up in verse 24. Matthew 13. I'll pick it up in verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Verse 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy, an enemy has done this. Servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First, gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. See, Jesus told this story about the kingdom, and there's a truth that's found in this story. That wherever there is a work of God, there will be a work of the enemy. Wherever God is throwing the seed of the word of God, the enemy will come to throw the seed of weeds into that garden. It's just what he does. He will go wherever there is a work of God. Because the enemy... The enemy who did this does not want the kingdom of God to advance. And so Jesus, on a mission in Mark chapter 4, of course there's going to be a storm to stop him from going forward in his mission. Turn with me to Mark's gospel, if you would. Mark's gospel. I want you to see something in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I'll pick it up there in verse 39. Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. He rebuked the wind. That means Jesus was seeing something 
that Mark is not telling us. Jesus is piercing into the spiritual world and he sees the demonic element that has caused this storm. Now, none of us should be surprised that demons can cause a storm because Satan is the ruler of this world. And he will oftentimes use the things of this world to bring about spiritual attack. You see, the enemy is trying to stop Jesus from advancing the kingdom. Take a look at Mark chapter 5, verse 1, especially in this area. Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadareans. Satan does not want Jesus to get to the land of Gadara, the city of the Gadarenes. He does not want the kingdom of God to advance, especially in Gadara. You see, Gadara, Gadara is part of the Decapolis. It was a federation of Greek cities who served Greek gods in the heart of of the promised land of the Jews. Take a look at the screen. There at the top of the screen, in the middle there, you'll see the blue, which is the Sea of Galilee. And there around the Sea of Galilee, to the east, you will see most of the Decapolis, most of the Greek cities that served Greek gods in the heart of the promised land, Satan has made his seat and he is not going to give this land up very easily. It would be like going on a mission trip to L.A. It would be like going on a mission trip to a Muslim country. Satan is not going to give it up so easily. In fact, I have found if I'm going to go on a mission trip anywhere, all hell breaks loose because it's the enemy's stronghold and he's going to hold on to it strongly. But you know what amazes me about the story that Jesus told about the kingdom? What amazes me is that God allows the work of the enemy along with the work of his kingdom. I don't know if that bothers some of you. But why don't you just end the work of the enemy? Why do you let the both of them grow in the midst of this kingdom here on earth? See, as believers, we may not know the answer to that question, but we have to trust that if the Lord is allowing the work of the enemy to grow as well, it's only to serve God's eternal purposes. Because we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. You've just got to make sure that you're on the purpose of God. You know that he loves you, but we know that all things work together for good to those he loves and are called according to his purpose. Don't allow the devil access into your heart. Be about the purpose of God. That's why we're careful about what we listen to, what we, what we wear. We're careful about what we watch because we don't want to give the devil any foothold in our lives or anything in our lives. And we've got to be careful that if we allow the devil access into our lives with something in the world, then we can't blame God if it's not working out. Like if you're dating an unbeliever, and the relationship has gotten, gone sour. Don't expect God to make it good. He's going to let it go sour because you're not called according to his purpose. He doesn't want you to be unequally yoked. Amen? 
Only the married people spoke. (laughs) Jesus is on a mission. Number two, if you're taking note, Jesus declares war. Jesus is on his way to the Decapolis. Take a look at what he does in Mark chapter 5, verse 2. And when he had come out of the boat, Jesus marches right into enemy territory as a declaration of war. Jesus declares war. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus is going to Gadara to declare war because he came to destroy the work of the enemy. And the enemy has got his seat right there in the heart of Israel. And that's exactly where Jesus heads towards. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible lets us know about what Jesus came to do. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. John then tells us, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the work of the devil. Of course he's on his way to Gadara, because that's where Satan has his seat. And the greater the darkness, the brighter the light of the gospel will shine. So Jesus is on his way to Gadara. He declares war. But I want you to see the enemy just doesn't sit down and say, great, Jesus showed up. No, 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 that's not what happens. Go back to Mark chapter 5, verse 2. And when he'd come out of the boat, immediately, without hesitation, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. You remember Jesus was on a mission. And on that mission, he crosses the Sea of Galilee and he comes in contact with what seems to be a natural storm that is supernaturally powered. Now he comes in contact with a demon-possessed man, a man with an unclean spirit. The enemy doesn't give up. And he's not going to give up without a fight. Jesus is attacked with his very first step into darkness. Now, if you're a disciple, okay, you've just gone through a storm, now you've docked, and when you get there, Jesus just steps out of this boat, and this crazy, lunatic, naked man who's scarred and bleeding and cut up comes, (laughs) you know, like, I'm not even going to do it because I don't want to freak anybody out, but just imagine how they were just so blown away with this guy. If I'm John, I'm back in the boat. Let's go, Jesus. This guy's out crazy. I mean, just what would you do? And what I find is the enemy always tries to knock us out before the gun goes off for the marathon. He always tries to knock us out before we even get started. And I have found with believers, excuses is his biggest weapon. Well, I need to go do this. And I need to go do that. And I need to be this. And I need to be that. Fear is another weapon that he will use. Sickness will be a weapon. Rain sometimes can be an excuse for us not to come to church here in California. Let conviction lie where it need be. Sometimes family. Sometimes friend. Sometimes foe. His greatest attack will be before the gun goes off because he wants to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. And God's called you to be a witness. You're on the mission. 
He's called you to be a witness. But if you choose to witness, you better believe you have engaged in war. You are choosing to go to war. And the enemy is not going to give up so quickly. Because the enemy has one goal for everybody's life in this room. And that one goal is to destroy you. And the reason why the enemy's goal is to destroy you is because Jesus has a goal to give you life. And to give you life abundantly. And he always has the very opposite to what God has for you. So if God has life for you, he wants to destroy you. And I want you to see the condition of this man. Mark chapter 5, verse 3. This man, who had an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, he's living six feet under. No one could bind him, not even with chains. He's supernaturally empowered. He'd often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him, and always, night and day. So all the time, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, at the highest peaks and six feet under, crying out, cutting himself with stones. This guy's in bad shape. Look at the condition of this guy. He lives in a graveyard. Now, God bless you if your backyard's a graveyard. But we looked at a home when we were moving up here, and the backyard was a graveyard. I'm not looking at tombstones. The whole, like, that's not a place of peace for me. Oh, look at the green pastures. No, it's a bunch of people six feet under. Listen, this guy is living in a graveyard. And what I find amazing is that Jesus steps into the darkness of death because Jesus didn't see anything else than a man. A man who needed life. Look how hopeless he is. This guy is so tormented by this unclean spirit that he is trying to kill himself night and day, cutting himself and screaming and crying out. This guy is suicidal. This guy wants to be dead. And the best thing that people could come up with was Let's chain him up. Let's put him under control. Can I tell you something? Man's methods cannot solve spiritual problems. Man's methods can't solve spiritual problems. You see, the Bible says that they wanted to tame him in verse 5. And that word tame means they just wanted to control him. That's all they wanted to do was control. They didn't really want to help him. They didn't want to heal him. They were selfish and wanted to solve their own problem, that they wanted to be able to maneuver in Gadara without this man obstructing him. So they wanted him control. So all they do is put chains on him and label him and define him as a crazy lunatic. And I believe one of the modern chains... One of the modern chains today is a psychological diagnosis that leads to us popping pills so that they can tame us. I'm letting it settle for just a minute. Because they want us 
under control. And the problem is, we like quick fixes. We like quick fixes. We tend to want a quick fix to the problems of living because we desire relief instead of healing. We, we want to be relieved of the situation. So it's, this is better. Let's just pop a pill. If that pill will help, then I can be relieved. Well, that's great. I don't need to be healed. I just need to be relieved. All the while, not realizing you could possibly be under control. Have you ever seen the commercials of some of these pills? The woman is dancing around, okay, and she looks like she's the happiest thing. No more anxiety in the world if you just take this pill. And then the, they said, the side effects of this pill are liver cancer. As well, you could die from a heart attack. You will get stomach ulcers in 9 out of 10 patients. And she's just going, and you're like, I'll deal with the side effects. Oh, cancer. At least she's dancing. Now, I am not saying, listen carefully, I am not saying there are not physiological conditions that need some tweaking in the brain. There's a real condition as a bipolar person that might need some medication in order to help them live a normal life. We get a headache, we take an aspirin. I'm not against medication. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is quite possibly with the problems of living that the Holy Spirit has something to say about it. That the Holy Spirit can empower you to live a life that is healed, not just relieved. Now look at this guy. This guy's in a graveyard. He's in a graveyard six feet under. But I want to remind you of something. Jesus showed up. Jesus is in the graveyard with him. And this needs to give hope to everyone who's facing a graveyard situation. Jesus knows. And Jesus is on a mission. And he's on a mission to save you and to save them. Look how desperate this guy is. This guy is crying out. He wants to be dead. He's crying out in the mountains. He's crying out six feet under. And I have often found when people face the problems of living that God has allowed them to be there so that they see that Jesus is the only answer. Sometimes people will get to the pinnacle of success and realize it's worthless and cry out. Some people will get six feet under and realize at the bottom that it is, it's worthless to be where they're at and they will cry out. But God has allowed this man to get to the place where he realizes that Jesus is the only answer. If you're dealing with your graveyard situation, Jesus just may have allowed it so that you realize he's the only answer. Jesus is on a mission. Number three, if you're taking note, The weapon of war is the word. The weapon of war is the word. Let's pick it up there in Mark chapter 5, verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. So he bowed down. Verse 7. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? His theology is unbelievable. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Jesus speaks one word to him. Now remember, Jesus is gentle and lonely. He's not looking at him and go, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Boom. That's not what Jesus is doing. Okay. It's not what he's doing. 
He's gentle and he's lowly. There's no fanfare, there's no lights, there's no smoke, there's no guitar in the back humming, and there's no like beating over the forehead. This is, I, I, I really believe, I believe this is what Jesus did. Come out of this man, unclean spirit. The devil's all about the show. Jesus is all about the word. And immediately, the devil goes on edge. Why have you come here to mess with me? I own this place. This is my seat. I've got the Decapolis. All these ten cities are mine. Why are you here messing with me? Now, I told you. The demon's theology, to me, is spot on. We could learn a lot from demons in this regard. The Bible says even the demons believe and they shudder. That's what James tells us. And here the demons, when they see Jesus, they know who he is. So they drop on the ground and they worship him. There is no question in their mind, he is Jesus, the son of God. Now, they believe that, but they want to make you doubt that. They believe that, but they want to make you doubt that. And let me tell you why, because they don't care about you. They're saying, listen to what they say, why are you here to torment me? You're going to affect me. I don't care about this man. I know you care about this man, but we don't care about this man. And that's something so important for us to remember when we're tempted. He don't care about you. The only thing he cares is to destroy you, but he'll come to you with a lie. He will come and deceive you, and he will try to convince you what he's tempting you of is the best thing in the world for you. Just pop this pill. It'll make you feel better. Just drink a little and take the edge off. That's all you got to do. Just take the edge off. Trust me in this. I know she's not saved, but she's pretty. Just go for it, man. You're the only one in the world that's going to get away with it. I've got your best interest at heart. And then he hooks you when you bite the bait. Now, what I find is so incredible about the enemy He knows God so well, he goes, I implore you by God. The devil is depending on God's mercy. He knows that God is so merciful, he says, I implore you, Jesus, by God. Are you serious? You're that desperate. Let me tell you why Jesus is messing with the enemy. Because the enemy is messing with this man. And Jesus wants to set this man free. But that's not what the enemy wants to do. Let me prove it to you. Jesus, he gives us some demonology. Okay? Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. Take a look at the screen. When an unclean spirit, Jesus is speaking, giving us a little bit of education on demons. Okay? When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. In other words... Demons like to be in people. They don't like to be in the air. Okay? Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. So the house is a person. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. In other words, he got relief, but he wasn't healed. He went through the program, but he rejected Jesus. He's no longer doing drugs, but he wants nothing to do with Jesus. Okay? And he comes and he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So it shall also be with this wicked generation. 
Jesus has given us an education on demons and he says this, look, if you get cleaned up but you reject me, you're in a worse state than what you think. Because all you did was try to seek relief, but you didn't seek me. And the demons, they love to be in people. That's where they find their rest. But Jesus finds joy in setting people free. That's why he's on his way to Gadara. He's on his way there for one man. Now take a look at Mark chapter 5, verse 9. Then he asked him, what's your name? Now I need to let you know, this is not like Jesus entering conversation. Like, hey, how you doing? What's your name? Like, what do you do for a living? No, this is not like I want to get to know you, Okay. This is, I'm about to expose you, and I'm about to reveal my power. Look at his answer. So he answered saying, my name is Legion. Now that's 6,000 Roman soldiers. My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. Now, if you've been on one of our Israel trips, we've taken you to this place right down at the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee where you can see where these pigs would have ran right over this cliff and into the Sea of Galilee. 6,000 of them. A legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers. Can I let you know Jesus is outnumbered 6,000 to 1 and he wants his disciples to know it. That's why he asked the name. That Jesus is outnumbered 6,000 to 1. But it's very clear who's in authority. They begged him. He gave permission to them. They asked him for permission. It's very clear that though he's outnumbered 6,000 to 1, Jesus is the one in authority. In fact, in Matthew chapter 8, you can look up later. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus uses one word when they ask him, can we go into the pigs? One word, go. That's it. Go. The power of one word. Do you see why I don't want us to water down the impact of the word by choosing not to use it as a power to wreak havoc in the enemy's plan. Do you know what 2,000 dead pigs look like at the bottom of, in the Sea of Galilee? Do you know the cleanup involved with 2,000 pigs there at the... You guys, come out of the Bible for a minute and just think about 2,000 dead pigs at the bottom of this cliff. You're not going to leave it there. You're going to clean it up. Now, let's stop there for a second. What are pigs doing in the land of Israel? It's an unclean animal. Pigs should not be there. Now, this capitalist region, these were Gentiles. And let me tell you about Gentiles. We love pig. (laughs) Now, you might go, I don't love pig. You don't like a good maple glazed donut with bacon on top? (laughs) 
from the Lord. <laughs> Who don't like bacon? Who don't like honey-baked ham? Spare ribs. Bunch of Gentiles. You like pig, I'm telling you. These guys are raising pig because they love pig and they're doing it right there in the center. Now remember what I said. Why does God allow the kingdom of the enemy to grow while the kingdom of the God is growing? Because God is going to use the enemy for his purposes. God wanted to get rid of those pigs so he used those demons to get rid of them out of the promised land. You see, God's just using the enemy for his purpose. Don't water down the impact of the word in your life. Listen to what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he gives a detail as to how you can be strong. And he says, uh, and take the helmet of salvation, verse 17, and the sword of the spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you realize that the Word of God is a slaying machine to the enemy? And all we have to do is resist him with that sword and he runs away. The Word of God has impact and has power. Don't let the commercials on TV water down the impact of the Word in your life. Number four, something you need to watch out for. You got to watch out for the fire coming from your foe. You got to watch out for the fire that's coming from your foe. Look at verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled. That means they ran away because they were running. The word here is they're running from something dangerous. They actually think that Jesus is dangerous. Now remember, they serve Greek gods. They're Greek cities. And they're looking at Jesus and this whole pig thing and they're, they're out of there. They told it in the city and in the country. They went out to the sea to see what it was, what had happened. And Luke tells us the whole city went. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind. They were afraid. Maybe you'll underline that. The caretakers fled. The people were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from the region. Okay, we got to watch out for the fire that comes from our foe. The caretakers fled, afraid of Jesus, and the crowd was afraid, so they asked Jesus to leave. Fear is one of the greatest weapons of the enemy to cause us to reject the word. I got this. I, I got it. I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I got it. No, here's what the word says. No, 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 no. What if I do that? And, well, I can't do that. I mean, that's too difficult. Only Jesus could do that. I'm not Jesus. I don't know if Jesus really understands what's going on. I mean, it was 2,000 years ago. And I, I know he said this, but this is like the 21st century. And I don't think you understand. It's our polite way to say, Jesus, please leave. I want to be relieved. I don't want to be healed. I mean, I love coming to church. (laughs) Kid choir, yeah, joy, joy, joy. I feel great. (laughs) 
I mean, we're clapping, we're singing, praise God, hallelujah, hands are up. I don't want to leave and go back to the world. I like this feeling. I like to feel like this, Jesus. But I don't know if you can speak into that. I mean, I've been, look, I've been looking for a husband for a long time, and he's so cute. I know he's not saved, but you can't speak into that, this whole be unequally yoked thing. I don't know what's up with me in the whole unequally yoked thing. If you're struggling with it, just confess it to Jesus now and move on from him. No one said amen. <laughs> They're afraid. But Mark gives us the power of the word of God. Because the man who was labeled a lunatic, chained so that he could be controlled, naked, six feet under, absolutely hopeless, filled with 6,000 demons, There he is sitting at the foot of Jesus in his right mind. Jesus radically changed this guy's life. And this needs to give hope to everyone sitting in this room. Because I know many of us are facing a graveyard situation. Something that we think is absolutely hopeless. Maybe some person at work or someone in your own family. Now, let's not go ahead and fill them with 6,000 demons, okay? But my point is, Jesus is on a mission. And I know that you think your situation is hopeless, but so did the ten cities of the Decapolis think that this guy's life was hopeless hopeless until Jesus showed up in that graveyard with him and gave him life. Let the church say, Amen. You see, Jesus put this guy in his right mind. And we've got to think correctly. And the way that we should think correctly is that the Word of God is the power of God for my life. And I'm going to choose to sit at the Word of God and learn the Word of God and apply the Word of God to my life so that I, like this man, can be clothed with righteousness and be put in the right way, not in the wrong way. Church, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. God can meet your hopeless situation with hope because he's God. It's what he does. But there's a trickier problem, and Luke lets us know. It's in Luke chapter 8. It's another trick of the enemy. It's the root of the fear. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region, the Gadarenes, asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat. And returned. Great fear? What are you afraid of? They had just lost 2,000 pigs. Jesus, you're messing with my life. And I don't want to lose anything. I like my life. I like my friends. I know know they're not doing all the right things. And I'm hanging out with them and going to the bars. I like my life. Don't touch my life. Jesus says, if you want to come to me, you're going to have to lose your life to find life. But that's a cost. They just lost 2,000 pigs. Uh, uh, (laughs) You you have not been great for business, okay? Like, do you know what I'm going to lose because of all those pigs? You're asking me no longer to do these things and do that thing? Like, you want me to just 
do what the Word says and sit at your feet and have a right mind instead of thinking wrong about these things? Wait a second. No, I don't know if I'm ready to give everything up. Let me tell you why it's a greater weapon. Because you're being lied to and you're being deceived. And Satan has put a hologram in front of you that looks like green pastures. What you don't see are the landmines you're about to step on. Number, but the thing that grieves me most is Mark chapter 5, verse 18. And when he got into the boat, stop there for just a minute, he left. See, I need to let you know something. Jesus is not going to force himself upon you. He's given you a free will. You get to choose whether or not you invite him into your life to get rid of those 2,000 pigs. You, you get to choose. He's a gentleman. He does not force his way. He leaves. This is the sat, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. They rejected him, and he leaves. But what I love about Jesus, he's not given up on them because he's still on the mission. Would you take a look at verse 18? He gets into the boat, and he who had been demon-possessed, and Mark points it out again, begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. Verse 20. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Do you guys remember when you first got saved? Do you remember that moment? It was like you never didn't want to leave church that night. It just felt so great. There were tears, like everything. Like, and then it's like every time you come to church, it's like, wow, this feels great. I love being in church. I love being with Jesus all the time. Please don't send me back out there to those people. They don't have kid choirs. They say things that are mean and they hurt me. Don't send me back to work. Don't send me back to school. I mean, I don't want to go back out there. Can we just sing Kumbaya for all of eternity? It feels good, doesn't it? How many of you when you got saved was like, okay, Jesus, just beam me up. Like, I am ready to walk on gold streets and go through those pearly gates. Like, I don't want to deal with any more problems. I don't have to deal with anything. It's like, I just want to be with Jesus. That was this guy. Jesus, this feels so great. Like, can I just be with you? Now, first of all, no, you're a Gentile. And that's not going to go good for my Jewish ministry, okay? So that's probably one very practical reason. Jesus does not permit him because Jesus has a greater purpose. The crowd has just asked Jesus to leave, but he puts this man who's been changed by Jesus on the mission. He puts him on the mission. He had a greater purpose for this man. You see, this man, though Jesus is going to be asked to leave, this man is one of them. They can't ask him to leave. He's now got a special agent. This demon-possessed fella is the original 007. This is Mission Impossible. He's sending him out in an impossible region of the Decapolis as a Gentile to go minister to Gentiles. And he does a phenomenal job. 
We're going to study in Mark chapter 8. He does so good of letting the Decapolis know that a few weeks from now in Mark chapter 8, we're going to see that this guy's testimony caused 4,000 Gentiles to meet Jesus back on that beach to hear the gospel. He was on the mission. Okay. You thought I was talking about a demon-possessed guy. I was actually talking about you. Let me explain. Jesus left heaven and came to this graveyard called earth. We were all meant to die six feet under. And he saved you. He saved you. And then all of us, we're ready to get to heaven. Little kid choir, kumbaya moment. Jesus, please, can I just be with you? And what did Jesus say? Nope. You can't go with me. I'm leaving you here. Go to your friends and tell them about me. He says to the guy, tell them the great things the Lord has done for you. He says, give him your testimony. And then he says, tell them the Lord has had compassion on you. Show them the love of God. Everyone always says to me, I don't know if I can tell anybody about Jesus. Maybe I need an evangelism class. Jesus just gave it to you. I'm leaving you here. Go tell someone you know. Go tell the person that you put their name on that uh, banner. Just go to them and say, listen, i got to talk to you about something. What are you talking to me? His name is Jesus. Oh, I don't know what I can do it. Then all you got to do is say, once I was blind, now I can see. There's your testimony. And then bake them a pie. Show them the love of Christ. Now, if you're a guy, fix their car. This is evangelism 101 because we're the man that had no hope and Jesus saved us. And our job is to go into our Decapolis with this counsel from him and listen to number five, purpose to be on the mission. Thanks for listening and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.